I am so glad our uh, kids are up in the service with us. And kids, I, I'm going to ask for your help uh, at a few points throughout the message. I'm just going to start off right now. Uh, I know some of you were here on Friday night for our Good Friday service. So kids that were here on Friday night, um, what, did the, what did the setting look like on Friday night? Did we have candles out on the edges? No? No? And what was draped over the front here and over the communion table? Do you remember? Black. That's strange. And were the lights on or off? They were off. It was kind of, it was kind of dark in here. It was toned down. There weren't any flowers. Now describe what you see today, kiddos. What, do we, what colors are on the communion table? Yeah, how would you describe this room? Happy, yes. That's even better. I was thinking bright, but happy is even better. And why do I look so funny today? Do you, do you notice I'm wearing something different? Yeah. Because it, it's Easter, and Easter is the most specialist day of the whole year, according to the Christian calendar. It is a special day. You can just tell. There's balloons out front. There's, if you go in this room after the, the service, there's going to be flowers and centerpieces and food to share. There's candles going and white and, oh, it's glorious. You can tell it is a special day. Of all the days, this is the most special day, the high day of the Christian calendar. You might notice then that Christmas is not the high day of the Christian calendar, even though you might make, get more gifts on Christmas and, and there's all this festivity. Even though that Jesus became flesh on Christmas, and even though there couldn't be a resurrection without Christmas, Christmas is not the highest day of the year. And notice that Good Friday is not the most important day. Even though there would be no resurrection without Good Friday, no forgiveness of sin if Jesus didn't die on the cross, it's still not as important as Easter. And you might notice then that Ascension Day is not the high day of the year, even though it's absolutely central to our faith that Jesus not only rose from the grave, but then ascended to rule in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And you might notice then that Pentecost is not the most important day. Even without the Holy Spirit, there is no human way we could actually follow the things Jesus says to do. No, from the very beginning of the church, the most important day of all days is Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. It's the first day of roughly a 50-year feast celebrating the awesome reality that Jesus, who was truly dead, rose from the grave and defeated death itself. This is the day we rejoice in the fact that Jesus received a new body, a body that doesn't break down, that is kids, superhuman capabilities, not even Superman could beat resurrected Jesus. And perhaps most importantly, we celebrate on Easter the fact that because of Jesus' resurrection, so began a new creation, new possibilities, new hope, even greater than the new hope of Star Wars Episode Four, a new hope against the rebel, uh, rebel alliance against the Galactic Empire. Better than that, and that's saying a lot. Now, of course, I threw in a Star Wars reference because I have a certain nerd quotient I must fulfill in each message. But I also threw it in because every year we go through Easter, and if you've been around a while, you start to hear this talk about new life and new hope and resurrection, and it begins to sound about as impractical as Star Wars. Forgive me if that's blasphemy to some of you. Even within the Star Wars universe, Han Solo famously quips, 
Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. Because we all know that this is all fun to talk about in church, but when the going gets rough, what does it matter? Right? And what we all really want to know in life is what matters? Why does life matter? What does my life really account for? What does your life really account for? It's my conviction that Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, changed the world and every life forever. It's not just a matter of big ideas, but in ways that actually matter, that are more trustworthy and practical than a blaster at your side. Jennifer Thomas read one of the accounts of Jesus' resurrection from Matthew 28 just a few minutes ago. I've actually preached out of that very text on Easter Sunday the last two of three years. But today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to look at why the resurrection brings new life and brings new hope to your real life. And what I want to do is look at the life of a regular person who thought he had lost everything only to find that because of the resurrection, he gained a life worth living. And his name was Peter. He was a follower of Jesus. And kids, this is where I'm going to need your help. Kids of all ages, tell me a little bit about, just yell out some facts you know about Peter. Who was Peter? Does anyone know? Can you help me? Bumbling Peter, thank you. Yeah. He was a fisherman. Anything else we know about Peter? All right. All right. He was a disciple. That's right. Okay. So Peter, we've heard uh, some things. He wasn't necessarily articulate and he was a fisherman. Peter was a normal guy. A blue-collar guy. He was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't known for being particularly brilliant as a thinker. He wasn't particularly wealthy. And he wasn't particularly religious. He's not a priest or anything like that. He was a fisherman. And most likely in those days, his dad was a fisherman. And most likely, his sons would have become fishermen. Peter, just like the rest of the people in his village, had heard of this young rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus. This Jesus was gathering quite a following, not just for the content of his teaching, but for the tone of his preaching. People were saying that this guy Jesus taught like no one they had ever heard before. He taught like one who actually had authority. And when you were around this guy Jesus from Nazareth, it was weird. It was like you wanted to be a better human being. Anyway, one day, Peter's being Peter, he's fishing, working at his craft... And Jesus comes up to him, this rabbi. <coughs> Jesus says to this Peter, follow me. I'm going to make you, fisherman Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. Well, Peter is at a, a very difficult crossroads. You see, to follow a rabbi in the first century didn't just mean you do, you do your day job and then you go to school at night. Or like I often do with you guys, it doesn't mean that, that you just like take a lunch break and then the pastor comes, the rabbi comes and meets with you and you talk. <clears throat> Being uh, the disciple of a rabbi in the first century meant that you followed him all day long. In fact, there's a saying that, that disciples of rabbis should wear the dust of the rabbi's feet. You are so close to what they're doing. 
Now typically, someone Peter's age wouldn't be invited to follow a rabbi. You see, kids up to 13 years old, boys would have their bar mitzvah at 13, and most of those boys would then go learn a trade. They'd become carpenters or fishermen or tradesmen or whatever it was. They would get on with their life. They would get married, they would have kids, and they would repeat the process. But a very select few kids at 13 were chosen by the rabbis, kids who were particularly sharp or, or pious or whatever it was that the rabbi was looking for, and those kids would get chosen. Well, Peter, by the time Jesus comes to him, he's already been passed over. He's already an adult man. He's already married at this point that Jesus comes. He's a husband. He may have even started a family, we don't know. But when Jesus calls Peter to follow, he's calling him to uproot his family. He's calling him to leave his family business. He's calling him to change his life forever. Well, Peter makes an incredible decision. I'm sure his wife was really great. She doesn't get mentioned, but this is a team decision here, okay? So Peter decides to follow Jesus. And daily, daily, Peter gets to live in the presence of Jesus Day after day, he gets to witness the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the joy of Jesus and the depth of soul of Jesus. In his followings, Peter gets to see firsthand Jesus healing sick and calming the storms and multiplying food and casting out demons and confronting the people that represent corrupt power structures. And sermon after sermon and action after action, Peter is there. Peter hears about the kingdom of God. Peter undoubtedly has high hopes that Jesus really is the king, the Messiah, and that one day he's going to be empowered. Of course, if Jesus is in power and, Jesus is one, and Peter is one of these 12 disciples, well, he's in. Once Jesus gets his throne, he's somebody. This was a good decision, Peter is thinking. Now, there were a few times, I'm sure, that Peter was disturbed. Times when Jesus would say these weird, hard things like, the last will be first and the first will be last. And he would say these things that just didn't make any sense in that culture like, love your enemies. <coughs> Pray for those who persecute you. And there were times when Jesus sounded almost insane. He would say these things like, truly I say to you, the Son of Man will be handed over to the authorities and crucified, but on the third day he will raise. Things that didn't quite make sense. Things Peter didn't really want to hear. And so he was able to maybe to push those out of his mind and focus on the other things. But then came the faithful events that would change Peter's life and change the world forever. They were in Jerusalem one Passover. And Jesus started with his comments about how somebody amongst them would betray him, somebody close to them. And Peter had had enough. He just says boldly, listen, even if everyone here betrays you, I will never betray you. And Jesus turns to him, of course, and famously says, Peter, I say to you, before the rooster crows, which would announce the next morning, you will deny me three times. It all happened so fast. One minute they're eating together, the Last Supper. Then they're, they're walking together, singing hymns on the way to the garden. Peter snoozes off. Next thing he knows, he's rudely awakened to a mob armed coming to arrest Jesus. They drag Jesus off and poof, go Peter's dreams of life as a king's right-hand man. As life, his, his vision of life as a friend of the Messiah, is shattered. And that night, of course, before the sun came up, 
Peter ended up denying Jesus three times, denying that he ever even knew the man. And Peter was crushed. The scriptures tell us that he ran away and wept bitterly. In Matthew's gospel, it's really the last we hear of Peter. We have to look to the other gospels to learn that after Jesus rose three days later, on a Sunday morning, Peter hears an excited knock at the door. It's Mary and maybe some other friends that are with her. Something wonderful has happened, they said. His tomb is empty. He's alive. Kids, if you were there, you'd be singing, God's not dead, no. Thank you. Absolutely. You'd be rocking it right there. Peter ran to the tomb and saw that it was empty. The grave clothes lay on the stone slab where his body ought to have been. Now, empty grave? Lots of explanations to that. Peter doesn't know what to do with this information. So he goes back to what he does know. Fishing. Galilee. And one day, he's, he's coming in from a morning of fishing. He sees a man on a beach by a charcoal fire. He can't quite make it out. He gets closer and he realizes that that man is Jesus. He can't even contain himself. Jumps out of the boat, strips naked, runs through the water, meets the risen Jesus. It's like this feeling rushes over to him. I imagine it's like when you've been gone a long time and you come back home after being gone away. He's home. He's with the Lord. Peter had placed his hopes in his wishes about who Jesus was and what Jesus' authority and status would do for his life. He had hopes in his own wishes for his future. And hopes based on wishes, even the best wishes, are just wishes. But when Peter encountered the resurrected Jesus, he knew true hope for the very first time. True hope is not based on wishes and dreams. True hope is hope that is rooted in the person of the resurrected Jesus. That means it is a living hope. Amen? Okay, so for Peter, the resurrection isn't just an idea. It isn't just a theory. It wasn't just a religious dogma. It wasn't a holiday yet where you got jelly beans. For Peter, the resurrection of Jesus absolutely changed his life. Through the resurrection of Jesus, Peter goes from denier to confessor, from too fearful to admit he knows Jesus, to getting arrested for proclaiming Jesus. He went from uneducated fisherman to apostle of Jesus, proclaiming the resurrection to all the world. Roughly 40 days after Jesus appeared in resurrected form to his disciples and over 500 other people, Jesus ascended into heaven where he currently rules. It didn't take long for Peter's preaching and the preaching of the other apostles to reach people who then believed in Jesus and his resurrection, who had never met Jesus in their lifetime, who had never encountered the physical resurrected Jesus. And it's to people a lot like us who now believe, having never seen him face to face, to touch the holes in his side, to see him eat with us and then walk through walls like some phantom. It's to people like us that Peter writes at least two letters to encourage and it's one of those letters, one of the sections of the book 1 Peter, chapter 1, I want to share with you today. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read that uh, part of that letter. This is 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9. Yeah. 
It begins in typical first century Greek form. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, even for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul, of your whole self. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Stories about other people can be absolutely inspiring. They can make you want to live differently, and at times, you might even start living differently because of an inspirational story. But we all know that when the going gets rough, it's hard to live up to mere ideals. When your basic needs are threatened, it's hard to think about religion. When you're suffering with illness, or the death of a loved one, or persecution, it's easy to start questioning whether or not following Jesus matters if it's worth the trouble in the first place. Now this was the issue that several churches were having in what is now modern day Turkey. The people there were suffering because they were following Jesus. They were following the one true God in a Roman world that believed in many gods. And so the Romans would look down on the Christians saying... You with your one God. You with your crucified God. You're nothing. You're atheists if you don't believe in our pantheon of gods. Peter's also writing to people who suffered the loss of loved ones to disease and violence and imprisonment. And they were wondering, does God really love us? Where is this resurrected Jesus? What hope do we have? What does all of this mean? Does my life have any meaning, does it matter, or should I just ignore all of this Jesus stuff and do what feels good? Now, human beings can endure incredible physical challenges. The human psyche can absorb unbelievable trauma and still function. But what kills a person more than anything is lack of meaning, lack of purpose. If a person doesn't believe that there's hope to live for, They'll quickly give in. So Peter writes a letter of encouragement. He's been so transformed by Jesus' death and resurrection that he wants to show all of us that everything in life has meaning. Even our suffering, even our loss. 
Peter knows how easy it is to lose our bearing. So how easy it is to get lost in our own suffering and to lose perspective. So he, what he does is begins on focusing on who we really are. And Ian's going to throw up a, a picture up there. Just for the kids in the, in the in congregation, what is that? It's a compass. Jonathan, what does a compass do? Okay, Emma. That's very good. Yep, yeah, shows you what direction you're going. And if you're going the wrong direction, it can show you how to get to the right direction. Peter is writing a thank you, Ian. Peter's writing a letter here that's a lot like a spiritual compass. He knows that the people have gotten discouraged. They've gotten kind of off track in their focus. And so what he wants to do is help them get on the right track. He says, first of all, remember who you are. You are chosen by God the Father. You were on his mind before you were born. Before you had a mind, you were on his mind. This has nothing to do, by the way, with other people not being on his mind or not being chosen. This has everything to do with if you have responded to Jesus, you're chosen. You are beloved of the Father. And you've been set aside. You've been made holy in the eyes of God because Jesus was obedient in going to the cross. Jesus' sacrifice of blood on Good Friday covers you. You're forgiven. You're made new. And you may now receive grace and peace in the fullest measure. That's good. But that's not all. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and because you place your faith in him, you have received new life. The Bible talks about that in terms of new birth. You have been truly born again into a living hope. Not a hope in a dusty old history book. That's not what this is, by the way. Not hope in a religious experience. Not hope that is only hope if you follow a certain set of rules. You were born again into a living hope. Another way of saying that is you have available now to you a hope in the living Jesus. In no way, shape, or form did Peter pretend... That suffering is not not real. In fact, if you notice in this letter, he does not try and give explanations for people's suffering. He doesn't dwell on the why. He doesn't try and escape reality. Instead, he reminds us that since Jesus defeated the grave, a new world of possibilities is now open to us. A world where suffering and death can no longer have the last word. A world that is in line with meaning. Because nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing is wasted. No joy, no pain. And there's more. This hope, Peter says, includes an inheritance. It's an inheritance of new life. It's an inheritance that the sum of all your joy, all your sorrows, all your pains, all your victories, all your failures, everything you can imagine, wrapped up all things Come to a common good, a positive, beautiful outcome, one you couldn't even write the script for yourself. It wouldn't come close to the script Jesus is writing. And this means that one day, when the resurrected Jesus brings his kingdom in full, those who have suffered for Christ or suffered in Christ will be made whole. This means that one day, justice will be done. And Peter says more. 
He says this living hope, this inheritance, it's imperishable. It is untouchable. It is secure in the Fort Knox of spiritual blessing. It is hidden away in heaven, he says, which is a fancy way of saying it is hidden away in the very core of God himself. If it still sounds like theory to you, the resurrection of Jesus is not all, I would even beg to say, primarily about the future. Because of the living hope of the resurrected Jesus, your life absolutely matters right now. It means that when you and I reflect the goodness of Jesus' mercy as he empowers us, we are engaged in work that will last It means that when you sacrifice your own comfort to serve someone else in Jesus' name, it matters beyond their response to it. So you serve, you love, you feel like that love isn't returned, you feel like what I'm doing doesn't make a difference. The person's response isn't your responsibility. Your effort, your love, your sacrifice will matter. It will show up in the new creation. That's part of the, the glory of the resurrection. It means that when you forgive until it hurts, your wounds are not wasted. It means that when you invest your love and life into someone and it appears they spurn you, it is not in vain. When you suffer the loss of a child or a parent or a spouse or a friend, they are not lost. Your love is not wasted. The good news of the resurrection is that your failures do not have the last word. Your sins do not own you. Resurrection means a life worth living. And that means a life worth worth taking risks. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? Ask yourself that question. Why not let today be the first day of the rest of your life following Jesus as the living hope? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of the implications of your resurrection. Absolutely earth-shattering, Lord. In fact, so earth-shattering that it's almost unbelievable. Lord, we confess we live in a world of reciprocity, of give and take, of constant suffering, if not in our own lives, then around us at any given time. We confess, like this audience that Peter's writing to, we confess that we get discouraged, that we lose our way. Lord, thank you for this resurrection day when we remember and live into the fact that you are alive, that you are leading this thing called life and history and the world into a good end for those who place their faith in you. Lord, help us to dream bigger dreams. Help us to have more creative imaginations about what life we can now live in you. What chances we can now take in the, name of love of, of, in the name of the love of Christ for other people. What risks we can now be willing to take knowing that nothing is wasted. 
Knowing that every ounce of discomfort and suffering will somehow be redeemed and restored and justice will be done in the end. Holy Spirit, I pray for your help to take these words and these ideas and make them real in our lives. Amen.